Thank you, Mel. Good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning. If you'd like to take your Bibles and turn in them to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, we'll be focusing our attention towards the end of the chapter of Mark, chapter 12. There are a lot of questions that we face in life, aren't there? Yes. And the questions tend to to change as life changes. For instance, when I was younger, a question I heard a lot was, what were you thinking? (laughs) Of course, the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Nothing. As I got older, questions changed. Sometimes I would hear the question, do you know how fast you were going? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Or even later in life, how are we supposed to pay for that? (laughs) I don't know. Or how many bikes do you need? Just one more, really. And we soon realize that some questions are more important than others. For instance, on the one hand, will you marry me? And on the other hand, do you want cream and sugar with that? (laughs) But in the text before us this morning, a man who made his living, who, who lived on asking and answering questions goes to a man who he sees seems to know all the answers and asks him the most important question he can ask. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard him, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important or first of all? Jesus answered, the most important or first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have spoken to us by your Son the same one who who now sits at your right hand, interceding for us. 
Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit, who you have poured out and sent down upon us at the request of your Son to guide us into all truth, to open our hearts to your word, to form us into his very image. So, Lord, I pray that the words that this poor, lisping, stammering tongue would say would be taken by the Spirit and placed within hearts this morning to bear glory to the one whom, who all glory is due, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, what I'd like to do is talk to you about the Christian mind. And I figure there's no better place to start than talking about the Christian mind than what Jesus said about it. Seems to be a good place to start. Seems to be a good way to introduce the subject. This is the only place that really Jesus speaks positively or directly to the Christian mind, the mind that we should have. Say, well, how important could it be if it's the only time that Jesus talked about it? Well, he just told you how important it is. What did he say? It is the first. It is the most important. Where are we in Mark chapter 12? Just jumping in. We are in Tuesday of Holy Week. Two days ago, Jesus entered into the Jerusalem and now he has come back after Monday, cleansing the temple, Tuesday. And today is the Inquisition. Jesus is facing questions. And the questions actually begin in chapter 11, verse 27, where we see chief priests, scribes, and elders, the rulers of the people of Israel, coming and asking him, by what authority are you doing these things? The rulers come to Jesus and they want to know about power. We have questions about power, don't we? Who's in charge here? Then in verse 13 of chapter 12, the Pharisees and the Herodians come. Now this is a, a motley crew. We have the purists who say, to hell with Rome. And we have the Herodians who say, Rome is our buddy. And they say, should we pay taxes? It's sort of like if... Uh, you get home this afternoon, and lo and behold, a group of Antifa and Proud Boys knock on your door and say, do black lives matter? But they want to know about taxes. Then the Sadducees come in verse 18. The Sadducees were, were the religious liberals, the mainstreamers, who didn't believe in the resurrection. And they ask him about this Crazy, made-up situation where a woman has seven different husbands successively. Whose husband is she going to be? Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Asking about death. So we have power, taxes, and death. And then we come to our question from the scribe. A question about love. A scribe was an expert in the scripture. He was, in our terms, and maybe in our secular ways of thinking. He is a constitutional lawyer, right? He, he studies particularly the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers all day as much as he can to see what it says 
and what it means, how it applies, like making rules. God gave in the law 613 of them, and then they, they told you, well, here's, here's a few thousand more ways in which you need to obey these rules. So his whole life was wrapped up in what are the rules of God? What do they mean? How do we obey them? And this scholar of the law comes to Jesus because he sees how Jesus has, has shut up and answered wisely to those asking about power and taxes, political involvement, and death. And he says, well, hey, Jesus, what's, what's number one? What is the first commandment, the most important of all? And Jesus replies by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse, verses 4 and 5, and then Leviticus 19 and 18. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4. It is the Shema of Israel. It is the creed, the statement of faith for Jews. It was said that when you are born, your parents whisper this into your ear. When you die, your children whisper this into your ear. This is your life. This is what they write on little pieces of paper and stuff in their, their necklaces and their headbands and put on the doorposts of the, their door. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, as it says in Deuteronomy. All of your heart all of your soul and all of your might. And to that, Jesus adds your mind. Jesus inserts that into the text of Deuteronomy 6.4. Why? Because Jesus is adding to Scripture? No, because he is saying for his, his more Gentile audience, his more Greek audience, what I'm talking about is your mind. Because to the Old Testament, your heart, your soul, that includes your mind. That is your thinking. And because, in fact, in the Old Testament, there is no word, there is no word for mind. It's always heart or soul. So Jesus is sort of interpreting. What I'm saying here, what Moses is saying, is that love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, I mean your mind, and all of your strength, mightily. And the second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus 19.18. And we're going to focus on verse 30, the commandment, the first commandment to love. But that focus is, is sharpened by what comes before, Deuteronomy 6.4 and verse 29, and what comes after, verse 31. These, these two constraints upon us. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Before we say anything else about it, Jesus tells us that it is, it is doctrinally constrained because he begins it with verse 
29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's tying it to revelation that has been given. To love the Lord your God is not an exercise in creativity. I'm grateful for that because I am not a creative person. I'm not artistic. It's not an imaginatory endeavor where we, we go out and we hang up some crystals and we light some candles and we wait for the spirit of the age to, what does God mean to you? No, it is, there are set bounds that, that, that tie us to a particular way of minding our love for the Lord. We're not making this up and seeing who can come up with the most esoteric or, or deep or philosophical or new agey kind of thing. No, there are clear boundaries. And in the other direction, we see that loving God is ethically demonstrated. Right? The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The one who is loving God with all of his or her mind is loving neighbors, loving the people around them. So we see that this is constrained by truth. This is a truth endeavor, a revelation exploration. But it is not one that is selfish. It's not just for me to see how much I can know about God. It pours out. It shows itself in how we treat other people. So that men like James... And John could say, what good is your faith when someone comes to your door and you say, God bless you, be at peace? What good is your faith when you say, I love God but hate your brother? Doctrine and ethics. But in the middle of it is the most important thing. The first thing. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Jesus says, with all your mind, and there are, in contrast to the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there are multiple words for the mind, which doesn't surprise us since it is Greek. But this, this word mind here is not the word sort of mind as, as considered as like a part of some sort of thing of man, but it is the mind in action. In Luke 1.51 we read this, he has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts, that's the same word, the thoughts of their hearts. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, having the eyes of your understanding enlightened. In Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, preparing your minds for action. And in 2 Peter, he says, I am stirring up your, your sincere mind by way of reminder. And 1 John, John says, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about understanding, thinking, the mind engaged to ponder, to pursue, to think about God. And this thinking, not, not just this mind sort of dissected from the body as a concept, but this mind at work 
is emphasized again in the scribe's reply where he says, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding. That's even a different word, which is it's even more intense. Right? It's used of Jesus in Luke 2.47 when he was in the temple. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding of the answers Jesus gave. It's translated as discernment in 1 Corinthians 1.19, as insight in Ephesians 3.14, as understanding in Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2.2 and 2 Timothy 2.7. So here, we're talking about deep thinking, right? Understanding of a matter. How things are the way they are. Why things are the way they are. How they fit together. What they mean. Discernment. Understanding. Perception. Not just bare, factual knowledge of data, but, but an intake of that data and an understanding of what that means. So taking Jesus' initial rephrasing of Deuteronomy 6 and the scribes' restatement of loving God with your mind and with your understanding, we could say that love God with all your thinking Love him strongly with all your deep thinking. Right? But it's, it's not just filling our memory with more data. It is thinking for the goal, for the end of loving God. I love John Piper's summary of this text when he says, Our thinking should be wholly engaged to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of treasuring God above all things. That's what we're talking about. Our thinking, should all of it, Jesus says, should be wholly engaged to loving God and treasuring him above all things. So let's dig, dig into this. With all of your mind. Well, that seems... <clears throat> a bit heavy to bear. So, first thing tomorrow morning, obviously what I need to do is call work and say, sorry guys, I, I can't come to work. I just, I have to think about God today because, I mean, Jesus, Jesus is pretty good and I, I think he's all right and he said that this is the most important thing I can do. Obviously, when you get home from church today, moms, dads, you need to just tell your kids, hey, if you guys need to eat, just go feed yourselves because I need to think about God. Right? This is the most important thing I can do. All my mind has to be thinking about God. I can't worry about putting food in front of you or clothes on you. What does it matter? It's all going to go away anyway. Children, this is good news for you kids. Right? You don't have to go to school anymore. Why? Math, science, English, history, social studies, come on, that's worthless. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's, that's what I need to know. No more school, no more teachers, no more books. <laughs> I messed up a little bit, but you get the point. No more teachers, dirty looks. <laughs> if only. I wish that were the case. 
no. Um, and we're actually sort of pointing in that direction by the second commandment, right? Loving your neighbor sort of indicates that that's not exactly what Jesus has in mind here. Loving God with all your mind does not ignore the fact that there are other things throughout the day that you have to give attention to, right? I am hoping and praying that every day when I go to work that the person coming at me or coming behind me is paying attention to what's going on around them and not thinking thoughts of la-la land or looking at their phone, right? We have to live and we have to give attention to things around us. As we heard last Sunday night, the Lord is omniscient. The Lord knows all things. He knows all things equally, instantly, and simultaneously. But he remembers our frame, that we are dust. Right? The Lord knows that, that we have to, to do other things. So this is not a call to, to become a monk or a, a sister or a nun. It's not that. But during the, those other times, when we have to pay attention to our job, to driving, to our neighbor, we do not give up loving God. Rather, he is still our first thought. Our first thought is, how do I love God best on my job? How do I love God best at school? How do I love God best being a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister? Loving God with all of your mind, with all of your thoughts, with all of your deep thoughts does not remove you from the world and your responsibility toward it. No, it, it enables you to engage the world more fruitfully, better. And we see that in the passage before us. Right? If, let's, let's, let's think about this. If Jesus fulfilled all the commands of God perfectly, did he? If this is the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, to love him deeply with your thoughts. Did Jesus fulfill that, obey it completely, perfectly? Then we see in, in this series of questions and answers that, that we didn't read through but are here before us, we see how, how the mind that loves God, that pursues God, that thinks after God, is able to address man's questions. to the elders, to the leaders of the scribes, the chief priests. The mind-loving God in chapter 11 is able to discern their motives. He knows when their questions are not really seeking answers, but just seeking controversy. And the mind-loving God does not need to answer every question because not every question is sincere. Right? Jesus doesn't even answer the first question. He just gives them a question and, and they shut up and walk away. He, he flummoxes them. In the second group, the Pharisees and the Herodians, the mind-loving God is able to identify the true nature of things. Who prints the money? 
And he knows how the mind-loving God knows how citizens of God's earthly kingdom, of God's heavenly kingdom, are to live in this earthly kingdom of man. He's able to do that because Jesus loves God with all his mind. He can answer that kind of question. To the question of the Sadducees and about this trumped-up idea of the resurrection and the woman who had seven husbands. The mind-loving God knows how to confront absurdity with a lively interpretation of Scripture. Jesus takes a passage that we would not think of to demonstrate the resurrection. I am the God of Isaac, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus, his mind is alive with Scripture because it is a mind that is thinking after God deeply. And here in our passage this morning, the mind-loving God knows how to recognize and deal graciously with those who are on the journey even if they are not there yet. Right? Jesus says to this scribe who is close, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He encourages the seeker, the one who is giving a wise answer, as Jesus says, the commentary of Jesus, seeing that he answered wisely. And then Jesus says, but here's what you really need to know in the verses that follow, who is the son of David? You need to know the Christ. Yes, knowing the law is good, but you really need to know the Christ. So taking Jesus' example in this passage, we see that the mind that, that loves God, that thinks after God, is able to interact with serious questions, questions about power, politics, and death. Serious questions from skeptics, from unbelievers, from antagonists, and do so in a way that honors God because his mind is thinking about God. So we are to love the Lord our God with all our mind. Jesus is Lord of all. This commandment is for all. And there is grace in this. You are to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Not Pastor Jason's mind. Not John Piper's mind. Or Chuck Swindoll's mind. Or John Calvin's mind. Or Martin Luther's mind. God has given you a mind. God has given you a mind. He hasn't given you my mind or your neighbor's mind. He's given you your mind. And your mind is to think after God. If you're an eight-year-old, Jesus says this is the most important thing you can do. You can use your mind to think about God. Guess what? If you're eight years old, you're going to keep on learning more and more and more about God. If you're retired, this is what Jesus says, the first thing you need to do. Give your mind to thinking after God. And guess what? If you're retired, 
you're going to learn more and more and more about God. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So how do we, how do we then think after God? How do we, what is the way in which we obey this passage of, of loving the Lord with all of our mind? Well, it goes back to the doctrinal direction of the text. We have a clear target, a clear aim, a clear end. You shall love the Lord. Loving the Lord with all your thoughts, your deep thoughts, your perception, your insight, is to love the Lord himself, who he is. Why do, we, why do we love God? What draws us to pursue God with our thoughts? Who he is, the Lord, the one Lord. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Not, I'm not asking, do you love what the Lord has done for you? I'm not asking, do you love what the Lord you hope will do for you? I'm asking, and Jesus is saying, do you love the Lord, him? R.C. Sproul says, we do not really progress in the Christian life until we understand that we are to love God simply because he is lovely and wonderful worthy of every creature's unqualified affection. Or Psalm 16, 2, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. In the Cloud of Unknowing, a, a book from the Middle Ages, says, Lift up your heart unto God with a meek stirring of love and aim for himself and none of his goods. This is the work of the soul that most pleases God. Or as Psalm 27 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says, Lord, your face I seek. Bernardo Clairvaux says, one who loves God truly asks no other reward than God himself. Whereas Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. A.W. Tozer says, the evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In the and, God and, lies our great woe. If we omit the and, we shall soon find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. Whereas Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee, O Lord? There is none upon earth that I desire. Seeking the Lord for who he is. But this is not to deny the biblical truth that we love God because he first loved us. Psalm 63, 1 through 3, brings those two things together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. 
because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. We are to love the Lord because he is the Lord and he is altogether lovely and worthy of our love. But, but sometimes we need a little help, a little encouragement. Then go and consider what God has done for you, how he has loved you. And lo, we can love him because he has first loved us. Consider who is the one that has loved us God is the one who has loved us. The one who is eternal, who has no beginning or end. The one who is all-powerful, who can do all things, who knows all things, who's everywhere present, who is holy and just and good. He is the one who loves us. That is the lover of us. Consider how it was we were, when he showed us his love, we were not good, we were not ready for his love, but while we were yet enemies, while we were yet strangers from God, he loved us. This one loved us. How great was this love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul says in Romans 8, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Oh, this is the love of God. This is the one we're told to love. How can we not love him? This God loved his enemies, us, in this way? That he sent his son to die for our sins so that we may love him? Oh, how can we not give our thoughts to this God? How can we not pursue him? How can we not Think of him and turn our hearts to worship and praise him. Why is God's love such great good news? Because of the bad news. If this is the first, if this is the great command, Think, reason, if this is the first, the great command, who is the first, who is the great sinner? The murderer? The rapist? The kidnapper? What is the first, what is the greatest command? If this is, I mean, unless Jesus is just pulling our leg here, unless Jesus is just being a preacher, trying to make a point, then it really is true that the most important thing about any of us is what comes into our heart when we think about God. Again, A.W. Tozer writing in 1961, says, It is not a cheerful thought that millions of us who live in a land of Bibles, who belong to churches and labor to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass our whole life on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the living God. Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I Am, 
the self-existent self back of which no creature can think. Such thoughts are too painful for us. We prefer to think where it will do more good about how to build a better mousetrap, for instance, or how to make two blades of grass grow where one grew before. And all the time, the Lord, who loved us with an everlasting love by sending his son, asks us to love him. Bernard of Clairvaux says, we are like men starving to death, standing outdoors, opening our mouth, trying to feed ourselves with the wind. Like, how foolish. You're starving to death. Eat something, drink something. Are you more passionate about the second amendment or the first commandment? Are you more fluent in COVID conspiracies or in the scriptures? Is your mind shaped by one-minute TikToks or someone eternal? So how? How are we going to love God with our thinking? If we are going to love God with our thoughts, with our deep thinking, we have to fill our thinking with who God is and what God has done. Loving God is doctrinally constrained. We need to be filling our minds with the scriptures, the truth, the truth about who God is. Fill your thinking, your deep thinking with the scriptures. What this might mean is that you have to put away your read through the Bible in a year plan. It, it might mean that. And instead, you say, I'm, I'm not going to try to read through the Bible in a year. Instead, I'm going to try to know God. Instead, I'm, I'm just going to focus on the Psalms. I'm going to focus on Psalm 63, Psalm 42, Psalm 103, Psalm 104, and I'm just going to think about them for days, for weeks. I'm going to go to Job. Look at Job 28, Job chapter 32 through 41, and just think about this for a month. I'm just going to read them and think about them over and over again for a month. It's okay. Leviticus will be waiting for you when you're done. I'm going to go to Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, these, these short books that you can read in 10, 15 minutes, and I'm just going to read them 20, 30, 40 times until I know them, until I know God through them. It's okay. First Chronicles will be waiting for you. Think deeply about God. If you're just, if you're just reading through this to read through it, Love God. Love God with all your mind. You're not just supposed to be filling your head with facts. There is this blessed cycle of energy here. Thinking feeds the fire, and the fire fuels more thinking and doing. I love God because I know him more and more. And the more I know God, the more I want to love him more and more. Because I love him. Again, the love of God should be the first consideration in all you do. Is this movie going to help me love God more? Does this music help me love God more? Will this TV show help me think about God better? Is this podcast giving me deep affection to worship the Lord? And how are you going to love God? 
with all of your thinking, with all of your deep thinking, by reaching out and helping someone in need. God is inseparable from his actions. God is altogether lovely because he is altogether loving. The cries of those in need are not an interruption in your pursuit of God. They are the cries to direct your pursuit of God. The cries of those in need do not take away from knowing God. They give you a chance to reveal God to those who need to know him. So as we consider the Christian mind, Jesus tells us that the first thing, the most important thing, is that we're thinking hard after God, who he is and what he has done. And we're using that to fuel our love for God mightily, strongly, with all of our strength so that we can be theological eggheads and give all the right answers in Sunday school no, so that we can love our neighbor. Our thinking should be wholly engaged to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of treasuring God above all things. This is first. Let's pray.